Well, I want to hear what Jared has to say. Jared, come on up, son. He's been working. He's been sitting over in Amity in his little corner there with his notebook, and he's been working on something for us, and, and uh, have fun with this, okay? Yeah, so every time I get asked to do one of these, I sort of volunteer quickly. It's just sort of like, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> and every time is a different has been a different experience. I don't know if that's a, if it's that way for you, Connie or Nelson, but like sometimes it's really hard to to know what to talk about. So uh, sometimes you have so many things on your heart, it's hard to choose. And so I just yeah, I was sitting there at Amity, and I was like. I got to do some thinking because <laughs> I don't know. And so I just uh, I just took stock in where my heart was uh, past few weeks, uh, past year, year and a half. And I just kept feeling like I, I keep coming back to this sense of urgency. I feel like I felt it spiritually for the first time, like the, the end of 2019, I was like, all right, the world needs to change. And and I need to like do something. I have this big call on my life and I need to like get after it. I need to start making some changes. And so I just have these periods of rising urgency. And so I don't know if you guys feel that at all, um, but I know I, I feel it frequently. And so I feel like I'm in one of those moments right now where I have this sense of urgency where I got to go do something or I got to go change something or there's something like there's a lot. I don't know if you've been paying attention. There's a lot going on uh, in our country and in our world. And so there's lots of things to choose from. There's, it's like overwhelming the things that you could choose to fight, things that you could choose to, to, to battle. <coughs> and so I was asking the Lord, I was like, all right, I have this sense of urgency. And I have ideas about what to change, how to change it. Lord, what do you say about it? And he, he spoke to me. He clearly said that uh, you need to have in you what you plan to give away. You need to have in you what you plan to give away. And so there's a couple stories that I just want to go through quick. I don't want to take too much time. But the first story, is I, wa I want to take you through the, the wrong way to give stuff away, the wrong way to fight, the wrong way to do things. I want to show you the right way. All right? And so the first, first story I'm going to go to is in 1 Samuel 13. Uh, it's, it's Saul's failure. It's the thing that God had against Saul that caused him to, to, to fall away, to, to fail as king, to have the kingdom be taken away from him. <clears throat> and it's this, this period of time where the Philistine army is growing. They've, <coughs> they've assembled for war, for a battle, and the Philistines outnumber Israel. And the, the, the protocols were before you went into war, you, you offered a sacrifice, 
you heard from the Lord about whether you should go into war, how to go into war, he would give you, a, he would give us a strategy. Uh, and so Saul's waiting for this. If you look in, uh, I don't remember which verse I should go point out the verse. Saul's waiting and waiting. And it says he waited for seven days. says he waited for, for seven days. He waited for Samuel to come. Samuel was a prophet, and he was the one that was supposed to offer the, the sacrifice and, and hear from the Lord about what to do, what, how to fight the battle. And so you can see, like, in our current situation, how it's mirrored in this story, how the enemy is assembling and evil is rising, and there's things that are coming up against you that may seem insurmountable. Um, and, and Saul waited. He, he did what he was supposed to do, <laughs> but he didn't wait long enough. And so what he ended up doing was the right thing the wrong way. And so, so this is what I, I don't want to do, and I don't want us to fall into the trap of, of seeing, seeing the evil, seeing the, the opposition, and trying to do the right thing the wrong way. And so I think that there's this period of time in the waiting, that's where God drops in you what he expects you to give away. And so I think this, this is one way we could attack it. We could try to do the, the, the right thing the wrong way. Saul offered the sacrifice. Uh, as soon as he did that, Samuel showed up, of course, <laughs> and the kingdom was ripped away from him. Um, I don't want that to happen to us. So it doesn't seem super encouraging, but I don't, I don't want us to go, go after problems with solutions of our own. I feel like we, we were down at uh, Jeff Martello's uh, worshiping and feel like the Lord really spoke something to me. He was sort of frustrated uh, with, with how often and how long people will go and try to ch make changes on their own strength. Um, so I, I felt really, really called out by that. I feel like uh, we, we do a good job of making good changes. There's a lot of good things we do in our own strength. But I want to look at real quickly uh, just an interesting passage. It's in Luke 8. And it's got Luke, Luke 8 is... A lot of the common ones, a lot of common parables and examples that, that Jesus gives. <coughs> and I think it's interesting in Luke 8, starting in verse 16, there's, there's three different like, little sections in there. And I think they all go together, and I think it's really interesting. Um, what we're given is light, and it's supposed to cast out the darkness. And, and in verse 16, he says, uh, no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a basket or puts it under a bed but puts it on a lampstand so those who come in may see its light. And it seems really simple. Like, I get the picture, it's just, the light is just there. It's, it's on a stand. It's, it's not moving around. It's not being carried to and fro. Or uh, people who, the person who has the light isn't going around and, and searching for places to cast its light. People see the light and they come to it. And I think that's, that's, that's got to be our process. That's got to be uh, what our expectations are, is we're not going to force our light to go specific places. I think we just put our, put our light on a stand, and, and that's how our light is used. Um, then over in verse 21, I, I think that it's really interesting how Jesus is challenged. He's like, 
<laughs> someone tells him that his mother and brothers are here, and he's like, nah. Uh, my mother and brothers are those who hear and do the word of God. And so I run into the to problems times where I'm trying to do too much too fast, and so I think it's important that if we're going to fight, that we, we, we fight with what we hear. We fight with what we do based on what we hear. And then the last little section there is is where I want to is the picture that I want to paint a, about uh, what we have to give away. It's this patience. It's the story of when uh, Jesus is asleep on the boat, and he wakes up and he calms the storm. A lot can be said. Like, why was Jesus sleeping on a boat? If there was a bad storm, it wouldn't have been quality sleep. I don't think that. It was that he was physically tired. What I think is happening when Jesus is asleep is he's getting a download of peace. And, like, naps are powerful. I, I know that. Um, and so I think that it's not just a nap. I think it's a, it's a physical uh, and spiritual c combination of receiving. God was giving Jesus what he needed uh, in that moment. When the storm is going on. He's able to, re to receive peace through rest so that when he's asked, he can just stand up and say, peace, and there's peace. Or he can, he can stand up and say, there's justice. <laughs> uh, whatever, it, whatever it is the Lord gives you to give away, I just want to encourage you to, to not feel that sense of urgency, to not feel rushed into doing uh, the right thing the wrong way. And uh, so, yeah, what do we wait for? <laughs> what do we wait for? In Romans 8, verse 25, it says, wait eagerly with patience. And so I just want to encourage everyone in the season that we're in, the, the, the world that we're in, this time that we're in, uh, it's okay to be patient. It's okay to not rush out and fight fight a battle that you're not prepared for or to fight a battle that isn't yours to fight in the first place. Um, it's, it's not wise to rush into battle with the wrong strategy. And so I just want to encourage you to, to read through Romans 8. Um, it's just, it's so good. <laughs> like the, the, the current suffering, it will never be as bad as the future glory is good. And so I just want to encourage you uh, not not to feel rushed, not to feel impatient. Uh, wait to hear from the Lord and do what he says because <laughs> that's where the power is, waiting for that the Holy Spirit to come and, and just sort of like intercede. I get this picture where we pray. We don't, know, we don't even know what to pray. It says in, in Romans 8, 28, but we groan and we, we try to pray and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit just comes and sort of in front of us and then goes and takes takes on the battle that we have to fight. So that's all I wanted to share. That's what I want to encourage you in. I have a lot more I could say on this, I guess, but I don't do that too much. <laughs> Appreciate it. Hey, well, it's your turn next. Uh, Grant's going around asking people, and if you're part of a regular part of our church here, you're welcome to get up and, and try this, and you find out it's not easy. And um, 
Jared worked at that. And he's also going to be sharing the last Saturday this month. We'll have a, a business brunch. And uh, he's got some really good tools uh, to evaluate your business and your vision and where you're going and what you're doing and how you're doing it. And he's going to introduce some of that during that business brunch. Well, uh, turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 18. I'm going to teach on prophecy tonight. Uh, felt like um, it's an area that we need to stir up these days. We need something fresh uh, in the area of prophecy. Uh, what I'd like you to do is um, make a note. What, if God were to speak to you next weekend uh, through these special meetings we have, what area would you like them to address? What would you like them to focus on? Um, I think somehow if you sort that out in prayer and say, Lord, this is the one area that I really would like an answer to or uh, your perspective on. You writing that out gives him something to confirm, gives him something to work with. If you just coast, just say, well, I'll take whatever said. I, I've seen people get words that really don't mean very much. There's no real handle. There's nothing that you can really, what does that really say? It was a nice, nicely delivered little prophetic word, but it doesn't really speak to any really one thing. And, and uh I see that kind of disappointment in people. And so I think, I think you can uh, pull on grace by saying, Lord, this is the thing I, 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 I'm, I'm asking you. You said if I ask, uh, you'll answer. If I seek, I'll find. I'm knocking. These are the things that I'm concerned about. These are the areas that I want you to, to speak to. And just see what happens. And let's trust the Lord. And, and if it doesn't happen in that meeting, let's believe that it will happen. It could happen in the night. It could happen before, before next week. And so um, let's ask the Lord to speak to specific areas of our life. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, it's, it's the first real mention of prophecy. And oftentimes... Um, when the Lord first starts talking about something, th th there's keys in that section of Scripture. It's called the law of first mention. And in verse 15, it says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet. Notice it's a capital P, like me, like Moses. From your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. Uh, he's actually talking about Jesus. So the very first prophecy about prophecy is about Jesus. And Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And he says, um, because you told me to do this, verse 16, according to all that you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb in the day of the assembly, uh, all the people gathered, several million people gathered at the bottom of this mountain, and God was speaking. He was speaking audibly in the place. It was frightening. It was uh, awe-inspiring. Here's this mountain on fire. There's a localized thunderstorm with lightning strobe lightning, thunder, uh, the place is on fire, it's smoking, plus there's this eerie trumpet sound out of nowhere, and it's all blasting, and, and, the p and God spoke audibly to the people, and it so 
shook them up. It made their liver quiver. Just the vibration, just this massive voice. And they begged God. They got down and they said, don't speak to us like this again. And so God's actually referring to that. Verse 16, he said, now you said it. You said, let me not hear from the voice of God, the Lord my God, nor let me see the great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among the, their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak them all, uh, speak all that I command him. And uh, then, but there's a wait, you know, verse 19 says, and, and um, uh, whoever will not let hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require of them. So there's an accountability that's built in. Then it's also, verse 20 is interesting in terms of first mention because he also knows that there's a risk with speaking through people, that they can mess it up. They can, they can get it wrong. They can presume. They can fake it. Uh, there could be false prophecy, and God knows that from the very beginning. But he's, he's thinking, this is worth the risk. And so verse 20 says, now, the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name which I have not commanded him to speak, or he who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And so uh, right away, he, he states that the fact, we know this could be abused. We know that this is not perfect, that because we're working with people, people can do things. And, uh, and he goes on to talking about how to judge uh, those who speak in the name of the Lord. And so... Um, so the Lord decided, okay, I'm going to start speaking through people. I'm going to speak through the prophet with a capital P. That's Jesus. It's interesting that years later, uh, God speaks audibly uh, when Jesus was being baptized. People, some people said, I think it thundered. And other people said, no, that was the voice of God. And, and the Lord is speaking audibly again, but he's saying, hear him. And he's pointing to to Jesus, to, the, to that prophet. Listen to him, obey him, hear what he has to say. So this is God saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gear down. I'm not going to speak audibly to you on a regular basis. So what's going to happen is I'm going to gear down through hearts. I'm going to speak through people. The risk is some people could fake it. Some people could say that they're speaking in my name and they're not. But... Uh, uh, it's worth the risk because this is how I'm going to speak. From this time on, God starts to speak through something called prophecy. The word prophecy means to speak for another. And so that's the basic understanding of it. And it's God's design. It's something he instigated. It was his idea. And then there's a time when Moses was, was complaining to the Lord. And he said, you know, uh, I, I'm trying to pastor these people. It's so hard. They are, they're so difficult to pastor. Uh, and he's asking the Lord to take him home. Take me out of here. Take me to heaven. <laughs> Get me out of here. And, and the Lord says, no, we're not going to do that. But what I will do is I'll take from the spirit that's upon you and I'll put it on a team of people to help you to pastor the people. And so he takes something from the spirit that's on Moses and puts it on the 70 elders. And the moment that he takes that spirit and puts that on the elders, immediately they begin to prophesy. And it looks like it was a one-time thing. It doesn't look like it happened 
consistently after that. But it's kind of like their day of Pentecost, when the Spirit come upon them, rather than speaking in tongues, they all prophesied. Now there's this moment, you can read this, by the way, in Numbers chapter 11, and there's this moment where young Joshua, he comes in, he says, there are two guys prophesying outside, and, and I forbid them. I, th that's, that's not what's supposed to happen, and, and I told them to stop. And Moses says something that is really the heart of the Lord, uh, to this day even. He says, oh, oh, that all God's people have the Holy Spirit. Oh, that all God's people could prophesy. And he knew that somehow when you hear his heart and he speaks through you and his spirit moves through you, you're never really the same. You're, you're, you're kind of marked. And, and he had that experience. He knew that the 70 men who had that experience that their lives would never be the same again. And so he speaks the heart of God right to this very day. I, I wish that you all had the Holy Spirit. I wish, I wish that you all prophesied. Even though there's risks, even though there's work involved, even though it's challenging. Paul, later on, uh, several thousand years later, he writes to the Corinthians and he says, he says, I would that you all prophesy. I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but would rather that you all prophesied. God wants you to prophesy. Right from the very beginning, right from Deuteronomy, his, his whole desire is to express his heart through human hearts. And there's a risk because you're you. Not perfect. None of us are, and um, uh, but he he wants to speak. He's a God who speaks. And I'll tell you something about the Holy Spirit. He loves to talk. He's not a, a vain talker. He's just talking and talking and talking, uh, and not really accomplishing anything. But he loves to encourage. He loves to say something that changes things, and so he wants to do that. And he wants to do that through you. And the more you do it. There's something about it's as you associate with God's heart, it changes how you see him. It changes how you feel. It changes your relationship to God. It changes your relationship to people. And he wants to use you. Now, if you're out of, if you've sat yourself out and said, I'm not, I'm not going to allow that to happen, you're missing out. You're missing out on what God, God wants to use you. He wants to prophesy. Listen now, let me just say this and then we'll, we'll move on. It's normal for New Testament Christians to hear from God. It's normal. My sheep hear my voice. That's, it's normal. It's normal that you relay that heart to other people. It's normal. So in our church backgrounds where that doesn't happen, that's not normal. God wants to speak and he wants to speak to us and through us. Now let's go to Jeremiah. Well, actually, actually, let's not do Jeremiah. Let's hold that. We'll come back to that. Let's go to Joel. Joel chapter 2. This was a game changer of a word. Book of Joel. God speaks through this young guy and, and marks time. 
This is a definitive word, amazing word. Joel chapter 2. And look at verse 28. He says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, just like he did the 70 elders and just like he did uh, at Pentecost. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. I'll show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's talking about the end times. Peter stood up 2,000 years ago and quoted this section and said, what you're hearing and what you're seeing today is what Joel was talking about. This is God pouring out a spirit on all flesh. We're speaking for God. God is threading us like a needle. He's speaking through us. And we know that there's parts of this, the, the moon turning blood red, uh, uh, the stars falling out of the sky. The, there, there's an end time scenario uh, that Jesus prophesied and Joel's talking about it. That's still to come. That could happen. That could happen in the next weeks and months. That could happen in the next year. It could happen this, this year. It's going to happen. One of these days, it's going to happen. These are the last days. Peter stood up and he said, these are the last days. And one of the signs of the last days is that God's people prophesy. Their young people prophesy. Not just prophets, not just professionals, not just, not just real holy men of God uh, where there might be one or two of them on the planet at a, any given time. He's saying the thing that's going to be different is ordinary people are going to be speaking prophetically. Young men, stable sweepers, dishwashers, uh, the, the lady, the young gal who does all the laundry, she's going to be just as prophetic as anything you read about in the Old Testament. That's what's going to happen. That's a mark of the end time. And so we want you be, we want to be an end time people. We want to be part of the end times. We want to be used in the end times. I don't think you can be effectively used in these last days in terms of the harvest and evangelism unless you prophesy. It's not my hobby horse. I get, I get no points for you prophesying. I don't get a badge. I don't get a crown. I, get, I don't get anything. What I get is, is uh, a prophetic people who can momentarily be used of the Lord, who can hear and get a sense of him moving and speak it and change people's lives. That's what I want to see happen. That's, that's what has to happen. We talk about doing counseling. We talk about reaching our community. We talk about uh, giving people opportunities to, to pray for people in our community. I think, I think the way that that has to happen is it has to be prophetically. It doesn't have to be, thus saith the Lord, yea, yea, my people. It doesn't have to be anything like that. It could be counseling. It could be sitting down and listening to someone and counseling them, and they don't even know you're prophesying, and the next thing you know, they're being transformed by the word of God. They're hearing the heart of God, and they're seeing themselves through God's eyes. Nate and I had coffee the other day, and we are talking about word of knowledge, and stop and think about the woman at the well. We got talking about her. Jesus sits down with this woman at, uh, 
at the well, and she's coming down to get water. And there's this conversation that starts happening. And all of a sudden, Jesus slips in a word of knowledge about her, and it completely blows her mind, stops the conversation. He says, you've had, he's, go get your husband. And he's, she says, I don't have a husband. He's, you've said it exactly right. You've had five. And the one you have now is not your husband. That so impacted her. He didn't announce it. He didn't say, oh, wait a minute, there's something coming on. I got a word for you. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't stage it. He didn't, do it. he didn't do it in a very Pentecostal way. He just kind of slipped it in. She said, I perceive, oh, I perceive you're a prophet. And then she wants to get in this big, uh, big spiritual debate, the, the you know endless debate that has been going on about where to worship, and Jesus ministers to her. She leaves her bucket and heads off back in the town. She goes into the leaders of the of the community of the Samaritans, and she said, "There's a prophet out there. There's a man. He told me everything that I ever did." Isn't that interesting? And she comes to Christ. She said, "I believe this is the Messiah." The whole village comes to Christ. One, what we maybe a five-second word. One word that took five seconds to deliver causes a whole village to come to Christ. I think that's what I think that's why there has to be prophecy in the end times. I don't think I don't think our logic, our counseling, our knowledge, our information, our sharing. Nice ideas is going to do it. I think it has to be a succinct, clear-cut word from the heart of God. And he revealed just one little snip, snippet of her life. But probably, we got talking about this, probably that was, the, that was the thing that was uppermost on her, on her life. Perhaps she was a beautiful woman who is always longing to be loved and always wanting and, and finds a man who thinks she's going to love and finds out that he's an idiot. And so then she finds another husband and finds out he doesn't, he's not what he pre presented himself to be. And next thing you know, five husbands later, and she's so discouraged because she's longing to be loved. And she can't even run the risk anymore. Why not just live with someone, someone else's husband? Why run the risk? And Jesus doesn't condemn. Jesus, that's not even the whole, the whole point is I know you. God knows you. He sees you. He knows what you long for. He knows you're hungry for something and touches her life. He didn't add anything to it. He didn't do a bunch of other stuff. It was clear and simple. I think that's what God is after in, among us. I think that's what God wants to do. Someone else could be listening to that word and say, well, that's interesting. I mean, uh, either she's had five or, or she hasn't. I mean, it's either right or wrong. You can't really make, you know, it has to be either right or wrong. But look how simple it was. Look how simple it was. Look how brief it was. What I'd like to see for us as a people, I'd like us to be able to deliver a very short, powerful impacting word, whether it's a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom or just a prophetic word that helps the person to say, 
God is in you of a truth. God is in your midst because somehow he's revealed what I'm struggling with, what I'm, what I'm going through. And it may not be fancy to the hearers who are listening, but to the person who's being spoken to, they say, that's, that's, the, that's the thing of my heart. That's, that's the thing I'm struggling with. That's the thing I need to hear about. God wants us to be a prophetic people. Well, let's take a few more minutes with this. Let's go back to Jeremiah. Because he starts off right where we are. Go to Jeremiah chapter 1. We'll review this a little bit, and then we'll practice it. Chapter 1. So Jeremiah, he's the son of a priest, a guy named Hilkiah. He lives in a village of priests. There are lots of villages with priests all, uh, outside of Jerusalem. They'd go up to Jerusalem for the sacrifice. Uh, towns, Levite towns. And this one was called Anathoth in the, in the land of Benjamin, just north of, uh, of uh, Jerusalem. And so Jeremiah's a young guy. He's the son of a priest. He's a pastor's kid, so to speak. And then the word of the Lord came to him, uh, and and uh, you can see in verse 4 where the word of the Lord came to him saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. That's a key word. We're going we're gonna to develop that word sanctification and how it applies to you uh, in, the, in the days ahead, perhaps next Sunday night. Before you were born, I sanctified you and ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, oh, Lord God, behold, I can't speak, for I'm but a youth, for I'm a youth. And the Lord says, do not say, I'm a youth, for you shall go and, uh, to, to all whom I send you. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. And do not be afraid of their faces. So God's touching the very issue of his heart. It's about what other, pe what other people think and how they look at you. He says, for I'm, I'm with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put his hand on my mouth. And the Lord said, behold, I put my words in your mouth. Now, this is a deep spiritual experience. This is impartation that's coming right from God himself. This is very, very rare. Uh, most of it comes through other people today. And this is actually going directly. Uh, no one else is prophesying over him. He's getting this directly from the Lord. I'm going to put my words in your mouth. See, I've set, uh, I have this day set you over nations and over kingdoms, over the kingdoms, to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build, and to plant. So it's both positive and negative. Now, if you, if you go from this verse, verse, uh, verse 10, and you go to the last, maybe last 10 chapters of Jeremiah, Jeremiah starts prophesying to nations, and he starts pulling down the nations, and he starts, he starts really 
addressed in the nations. So it takes about 30 years before he's a prophet to the nations from the time God said it. But he said, this day I've set you. This day I've made you a prophet to the nations. It just didn't happen right away. The very first place that Jeremiah starts prophesying is Antioch. They're right in the hometown, right among, right among his family. And if you want to read their reaction to his prophecies, what he was saying, flip over to Jeremiah chapter 11. They're trying to kill him. They're saying, what are you doing prophesying all these heavy things to us? And, and God addresses them. He says, your brethren uh, are trying to kill you. So the whole point is you have to start where you are. And you won't feel qualified. You won't feel adequate. You'll feel, I'm too immature. I'm too young. I don't, I don't know anything about this prophecy stuff. And God's saying, that's not a factor. What really matters is what I give you. What I give you, I want you to speak. What I give you, what you see, what you hear, I want you to share. And so uh, he begins prophesying right at home, right among his own people. Not easy to do. It's some time before he goes down into Jerusalem and starts prophesying in Jerusalem. And when he does, when he goes to Jerusalem, the game really changes. Next thing you know, he becomes a target of all the false prophets, and it becomes a real serious war. And Jeremiah prophesied some really heavy things and ended up actually going and experiencing everything that he prophesied. So, uh, the, you know, people who prophesy end-time stuff have to be willing to go through the end-time stuff. And so anyway, I want to explain this. God is taking someone from nothing and taking them through and teaching them how to be a prophet and working with them, sharing with them. And, and watch, let's, let's watch the process. Let's go to verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, he, he knows your name, Jeremiah, what do you see? I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. And then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I'm ready to perform my word. Isn't that interesting? It's a little word. See, it's called a word of prophecy. It's not, in a, whole, it's not a whole letter. It's a word. And, and it's about seeing. Now, there's a misnomer. It's, it's, it's just the way we speak. It's, it's, no one really means anything by it. We're always talking about hearing the word of the Lord. Uh, uh, even when it comes to prophecy, people will say, well, I heard the Lord say that I'm supposed to tell you this. In a sense, that's a misnomer. In a sense, uh, how prophecy works is you actually see something. You see something with the eyes of your heart, and it's always something brief. And so what happens is when I get a word from the Lord, I'm not hearing a voice. It's actually I'm seeing something, and it's, it happens and it's gone. I, it's like you're, it's like the aperture of a camera, where all of a sudden it's open, something is snapped, something uh, an image is captured, and then it's gone. And now I'm standing there. I wish it kind of hung there for a while. I could be a lot more uh, descriptive if it was standing there for a while. But it's gone. It happens. It's like the flash, uh, shutter of a camera. And all of a sudden, I'm left to say what I saw. So God is asking Jeremiah, what did you see? He said, very simply, I see a branch, and specifically, it's an almond branch. He says, you've seen well. Very good. And that's the thing about, 
our God that's so wonderful. When I first started prophesying, he would pat me on the head. He would encourage me. That it would happen through different means, but he would let me know, I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm glad you're stepping out. I'm glad you're trying this thing. And it's a matter of integrity. He didn't add anything to it. He didn't embellish it. He didn't develop it. He just said, this is what I saw. I saw a branch, and I know, I know it's an almond branch. He said, you've seen well. And then what God does is he, he develops it himself. He either does that in the heart of the person you're speaking to, or he can do that through other prophecies. He could do it even as you start speaking. But watch this, verse 13. Then the word of the Lord came to me a second time. He says, what do you see? He says, I see a boiling pot, and it's facing away from the north. And the Lord says it to me, and he goes on, and he gives application, quite a lengthy application. Out of the north, calamity shall break forth on all the inhabitants of the land, and he starts going down. But all Jeremiah saw at first was this boiling pot. He saw that it was facing the north. He saw it was tipping. It was being poured out. He saw that, and that's all he needed to be a prophet. That's all he needed, and God filled in the rest. Sometimes when I see something, I'll lay hands on somebody, and in a moment, I just, just so fast, I just get this picture. But I know it's not my thinking. My thinking is kind of lateral. It's kind of like one thought leads to another thought, and this thought, if I hadn't thought this, I would never have thought that. It's kind of like one thought connects to another. But when I'm standing there, and all of a sudden, a picture happens very, very faintly. Not, not a real strong, dramatic picture. Just a, uh, let me say it this way. It's an idea. It's an idea, an inspired idea. And it happens, and it's not in line with all my normal line of thinking. If I run the, f the risk of saying what I just saw, oftentimes the Lord will give me something more. I'll either see something else, or he'll give me the application, like uh, and calamity shall come out of the north kinds of stuff. That will follow. But... My main responsibility is to, out of the integrity of my heart to say what I saw. If I never say anything else, God's got something to work with because that's a word. It's a word of prophecy. In fact, I can drown it. I can, I can go on and describe it and and embellish it and describe how many different colors it is and how big it is and how far away it is and when I think it might happen and, and, and lose the whole impact. Kind of like drown people with words. When I listen to you prophesy, it's too much. Usually the words are too big. It needs to be dialed back. I wish it was I wish you'd prophesy twice shorter each time rather than one long prophecy. The reason that you're prophesying one long prophecy is because once you start, first of all, you got the mic and that was just that was the costliest thing just to come forward and, and get up there. So now that you're there, you might better make the most of this. I'm I'm pulling your your chain. Um but what happens is it's almost kind of a 
it's easy. It's easy just to keep going and keep developing it and keep saying. And sometimes you do get more, and that can happen. But sometimes it's just you're just going to repeat it from different angles, and hopefully something will catch. And it's kind of like shotgun prophecy where you're hoping something hits. Hope I, hope I say something that makes a difference. It's not wrong. It's not wrong, and it's not... It's not something I, I'm, I'm, I'm being critical of. I'm just saying I think it could be more impactful if it was shorter. If it was just succinct, I see this, and I'm just going to say it and step back. And if I get something else, a little more development, then I'm going to say that a second time. I'll, I'll, I'll have a chance to get the mic again and say it again. I think you'd find it's more impactful. It's uh, People will retain it. God will use it. <laughs> One time when I was uh, uh, just started and I was doing all of this, I, uh, I would often stay after church. My pastor and I uh, would review the meeting, who was there, who was away, what the Spirit was saying, what, what the, how the message worked, and uh, what happened in worship. And, and I was being prepared for the ministry, being trained. And so I was there one Sunday, and, and we were doing this among the pews. We're just standing among the pews. And I said, did you notice that so-and-so had a real word from the Lord? I mean, you could, you could feel the electricity. When they said this, it was electric. And I said, you know, they had the word of the Lord, but then they added a bunch of stuff to it, and they, they stretched it out. They made it long, and they said a bunch of stuff. He said, you saw that? I said, yeah. I could hear the part where it was prophetic, and then when they went off in the flesh, he said, you heard that? I said, yeah. He says, that's funny because you do the same thing. Ouch. I was thinking about that the other day. I don't even know if I answered him. I don't even know if I said anything. I probably just turned three different shades of red. And, uh, oh, is that so? I never forgot it. Uh, but the point is we all do that. We all can do that could even be a sermon. Uh, doesn't have to be a prophetic word. The next week, all week, I had a choice. And the choice that I wrestled with all week is whether I would raise my voice in the, in the sanctuary again. Because I could have either said, that's it, if, if I, you know, uh, if I'm not getting it right, I'm going to quit. If if people are discerning this, my flesh is in there as well. I'm gonna I'm not gonna I'm not gonna run the risk. But to get up the next Sunday morning and give another word from the Lord, and not adding to it, that had to be, uh, that was my thing. I wrestled with that. I but I just determined in the integrity of my heart, I'm gonna win this thing. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be hurt. I'm not gonna be uh, condemned. I'm gonna get up. I'm gonna try again. I'm going to try again. And that's, that's the thing that caused me to win that, that whole thing. So anyway, these are, these are instructions. Uh, the only thing we are asking you to do also is to, when you prophesy, try to have other people around so it could be judged. Uh, anybody can prophesy in private where no one can hear it, but then no one can really judge it, and that kind of defeats the purpose. And so let's stay together and let's do it in a public way.